Welcome to Gratitude, the grad school guide for student physical therapists. I'm Sarah. And I'm Gabby. And we are two first-year physical therapy students sharing our grad school experiences to help PT students around the world. Embark on this journey with us as we navigate through the insanity of physical therapy school together. Looking for a gift for a friend, classmate, professor, co-host of a podcast, or really anyone? Physiomemes got your back with apparel, drinkware, and home decor. And if you go to physiomemes.com, you can get a 20% off coupon with the code gratitude, spelled G-R-A-D-I-T-U-D-E-2020. And don't forget to check out his social media for a good study break laugh. As always, make life humorous. In this episode, we chat with Farley, who is a physical therapist and a clinical education director for a PTA program, and she discusses more about her love for hippotherapy and how her passion for horses and riding has evolved into where she is today as a clinician. She also goes into more about her role in academia and how she was able to form an additional class based off of hippotherapy for physical therapy students and her whole approach and everything is so cool and a lot of stuff we learned as well. Oh yeah there was so much I didn't know about horses and riders like she treats them together and I had never even thought about that before how the horses can adjust to the riders compensations and everything so it's a really great episode hope you enjoy. Okay we should be good. Awesome. So welcome to another episode of Gratitude, everyone. So for today's episode, we have Farley with us today, and we were so excited to meet at a conference we were all at in May, which was SSVT Live, and it was just so good to, um, to chat more, but we're so excited to have you um, on the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here today. Yes. So if you want to um, tell everybody a little bit about your journey um, to physical therapy and where you are today. Okay. So my journey to being a physical therapist, um, it started actually in college. I was originally going to be a vet from the time I was in fourth grade till I was a freshman in undergrad. And I got to Oklahoma State and I decided that I, I did not want to and so I kind of floated around for a year or two um, and then my dad said what are you going to do with the rest of your life um, he did that one day while I was driving him to physical therapy after his third shoulder surgery in 10 months of which time I did not understand why he had to be driven to physical therapy because his leg wasn't broke. It was his shoulder. <laughs> but um, uh, really his journey, um, uh, my family rodeos, and uh, we'll talk more about how the horse is kind of involved in my story, but um, he, uh, he had three shoulder surgeries in 10 months on his roping shoulder. And I grew up with an arena in my front yard and that's what we did as a family. And had it not been for his physical therapist, he would have not gotten back to competition. 
Um, so that's where I really got interested in physical therapy and the sports medicine side of things. And uh, that's how I got to physical therapy school. My, my bachelor's degree is in animal science. Um, and then I went to PT school. So, for 10 years, I am currently in my second year of teaching at Arkansas State University in the physical therapy program. I, um, my responsibilities here um, include the hippotherapy program that we have on campus. I, I am... Um, I'm the director of clinical education for the physical therapist assistant program here on campus, um, along with teaching a little bit of orthopedics um, and helping the department really do their kind of big events um, and things like that. So, also, I have my own private practice called Rider's Edge Therapy and Wellness, um, where I focus on treating horses and riders. Um, together and uh, and separately and uh, can you hear me Farley? I can now. Ah okay okay there we go. I don't know if Gabby's unfrozen or not. Sorry about the background noise guys but that's an incredible journey. You've got a lot of hats that you wear throughout the week and throughout the last couple of years like so Take people through a little bit about what was your journey throughout PT school? Like, did you always have this vision that you have now for your life? Um, so I'll be real honest with you guys. The, um, the internal struggle I had in PT school my first year was, did I make the right choice? Like, I liked all the classes and I liked everything. But I have always been so horse-driven, animal-driven, animal-crazy. Um, it wasn't until probably my first two clinicals that I was like, okay, I can do this. Um, because I questioned, should I be in vet school? Should I have done something different? I knew about the um, rodeo sports medicine world. Um, and that was a goal for me. Um, but far as being able to treat horses and really delve into my own um, treatment path with riders and horses, that did not develop until um, after school. So I knew, I always knew that I wanted to be orthopedics, kind of sports medicine, or at least high level. So I think a big mis misconception of kind of students kind of like me is oh it's sports medicine or nothing no you can still do orthopedics I'm more interested in what I refer to as high level orthopedics in that you want to be um, I want to be treating people who want to get better and I don't care if you're a police officer firefighter um, a rodeo athlete um, a soccer mom, like I, I want to help people who are driven and whatever they are driven in. Um, and that does not necessarily mean it has to be sports medicine. You can still do all of that. Um, so I, I was able to have some um, incredible mentors on top of everything.
everything I do, I, I mentioned the hippotherapy program here at Arkansas State um, is working into that. And that did come in school because when I figured out I had to do a research project, I was like, if I have to do this much work, I need to be super interested in it. So that was at that time, that was the only thing I knew you could put a horse together and I could research it. Um, so that's how I started the hippotherapy part of the journey. Yeah, that is so awesome. And I really like what you said with you want to work with people who are driven and whether, you know, just in different areas of their life um, or they're coming from, you know, different parts of their life. But yeah, I absolutely love that. And you don't have to just, you know, stay in one, this sports medicine, like that's all you want to do um, because it really, you think about the people that you want to work with and whoever those people are. Um, as long as they put in the work and do everything, then it works out. But uh, that's, and that's amazing. Yeah, and it really, um, my eyes opened up in the course of my practicing as a clinician. I, for a span of four years, um, I managed a clinic that had the work comp contract for the city of Oklahoma City. And we worked with police, fire, and city workers. Well, the police and fire were very highly motivated to get back to work. They're a very family-oriented group, like the rodeo athletes. And so it was, um, I really learned that that satisfied my need as a clinician to work with high-level, motivated people, whatever their goal is. I've chosen to niche down from, from a marketing standpoint because I do want to really get into the um, horse rider combination in the Western performance industry. So, and all of that, how long did you do rodeo or like what was your involvement from the beginning with horses? So I got my first pony when I was two. My, my family, both my parents um, rodeoed and horse showed and competed with horses. Um, my mom chose not to compete as we grew up, but my dad um, still rodeoed at a professional level. Um, I uh, was blessed enough to be able to um, compete. I moved from the ranks of ponies um, to horses. Uh, and I've done a, a wide range of events, um, including quarter horse showing, um, qualifying to the youth world, then um, my focus now is more rodeo where I run barrels, I break away rope, I team rope. Um, I've done that I, and I still continue to do that. I'm not currently competing, but I do have three horses at home that um, we're working on getting back in the arena. Um, but I've competed uh, on and off, more on than off, uh, majority of my life. So I, um, I wanted to ask, so you treat riders plus horses, correct? To treat them together because through my own experience with my own personal horses, my um, biomechanical issues or pain issues can affect my horse's performance and uh, affect my horse's soundness. Um, for example, I have struggled with... Um, uh, a right SI issue for um, there was a period of years that I struggled with that well when my horse was um, 
we were going through and continuing to become more high level um, in competition, we started um, having uh, soundness issues on her right side. Um, I had a vet who is also an osteopath, an equine osteopath, and um, we worked through a bunch of things and really, um, really opened my eyes that my SI issues were causing SI issues in my horse. So um, it's, um, it is so interesting when you look at um, the biomechanical relationship. There's so much going on in riding already. You are on an animal, you are trying to accomplish a task. You're on a, from a PT standpoint, you're on a dynamic moving surface trying to accomplish a task, whether it's rope a steer, um, rope a calf, run around three barrels, jump a fence, whatever you want to do. But if you break it down more, um, gait analysis, movement analysis, um, there is such a tight relationship on how you affect that horse's movement and how they affect your movement, um, vice versa. When the rider is affecting the horse's movement, um, horses want to keep you on their back, um, contrary to some beliefs. <laughs> but so if they feel a compensation, they will always continue to do that to stay underneath you. Um, or your weight distribution is just a little bit more to one side or whatever the situation may be. Well, just like in people, over time, that can develop into chronic pain, um, which can often lead to bigger soreness issues, bigger soundness issues. Um, we use the word soundness with horses. Um, we don't typically use that in PT world, but um, I, I think you can appreciate just the, the soundness of gait, not having pain, different things like that. So that can continue to just perpetuate and it can go twofold it can go either way up the chain down the chain i just i feel like i can't hear anything i don't know if you guys can hear that in the background no gabby i don't i don't hear any of okay good awesome um but yeah no you're you're so right with the biomechanics and you don't really think about it like i've i did not know that if you if you have an issue um and that can affect your horse and their mechanics. So that's something that I did not know. And, um, and that's really interesting. So if you wanna um, go into more, you know, what you teach in your hippotherapy class, um, I would, we would love to know more about that. Sure. Um, I can't talk about hippotherapy at Arkansas State without talking about um, my mentor, um, Roy Aldridge Jr. Um, he was my research advisor when I was in school. We were very close um, throughout the 13 years um, after I met him, the 10 years after school. He um, was, uh, he and I started the hippotherapy program here at Arkansas State to get it to a continuous program. He had done hippotherapy research prior to me coming um, to graduate school. Um, he passed away from stage four colon cancer this past spring, um, but very instrumental, um, very great human being, just can't say enough about him. Um, the barn, uh, our barn that we use here on campus was named after him this year, along with the research fund that we have established here at Arkansas State. 
So um, the goals of the hippotherapy program, and just for a point of reference of hippotherapy, um, if you're not familiar with it, hippotherapy is a skilled, skilled therapy that is performed by physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech language pathologists, along with assistants. It is not, it is still physical therapy. The whole of the treatment is still physical therapy. You just add the horse. It's not a specialized treatment. It's not a, a it's not anything different from what you're already being taught. Um, and the importance of me saying that to your audience, Gabby and Sarah, is um, when talking about it, when you get towards um, how third-party payors um, reimburse for that, um, even if you don't ever do hippotherapy, being an advocate for your profession and what other clinicians are doing is super important. So here, the program here at Arkansas State, um, second and third year students um, do it. They uh, can select it as their research. We um, see clients once a week at the hippotherapy barn. Students here learn all aspects. Um, it's a tall order. They learn all aspects of interacting with the horse because they may not have any um, horse experience prior to physical therapy school. And then we learned kind of the foundation of hippotherapy and how we utilize the horse's motion um, to enhance our already set um, physical therapy treatment. So um, the, the two goals are to give students clinical experience along with research opportunities. We kind of have, we have three kind of pathways we go in the barn. We have a pediatric population. We also have the Beck Pride Center on campus, which is a veterans organization. So we work with veterans. Um, and then we also um, have an established program to work with people who have scoliosis. And so we're starting to um, look into that as well. So students here get three semesters in the barn. Um, one of those semesters is either with the class above them or below them, so there's some cross-training. We also have an interprofessional dynamic to the barn. Um, the OT program here on campus joins us, and so we do co-treatments um, together as well because uh, it takes a lot of people to pull off hippotherapy. A lot, a lot, a lot. Um, so, so that's kind of the dynamic that we've uh, started here. We have a good relationship with the College of Agriculture. So there's another dynamic on using the already uh, established horses um, for the equine program through the College of Agriculture. And um, so we work very well with them along with interdisciplinary work along with clinical experience and getting some, some research out there. Back, I'm just sitting at a red light. Um, I really love your story of how you started the hippotherapy. Um, I mean, that's, it takes so many people. And, you know, I would never know that because how many programs, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but how many programs offer hippotherapy? 
There are not, um, I don't know the exact answer to that for as um, physical therapy programs. Um, I did talk with an OT colleague out in California last week. I do know that, uh, and she has kind of started one at her school. I do know Texas Tech um, has a very well-established physical therapy program because Roy um, had done, had, they had done some research together. And uh, I believe there's another one, um, and I can't think of it off the top of my head, um, but there's not super established programs across the country. It is on the rise, but it takes, it takes a special process, um, takes a, a, a special um, program and all sorts of situations to get right. Um, but it is a, a kind of a developing thing. So as I am, this is actually my second year in teaching. So um, I'm still very much, uh, I, I feel like I've lost some rookie, rookie status from a rookie faculty member standpoint, but I'm still working through um, expanding the hippotherapy program and getting out there a little bit more. Yeah, that is so great too. And how has it been, um, we kind of went into this a little bit, how has it been on the academia side of things now? Um, interesting, like I, um, I very much enjoy teaching. Um, it comes very easy to me. It was, I do a lot of that in the clinic. Um, a little, has been a little bit eye-opening with the, when I think back, because um, I don't think 10 years is that long ago. Um, it is getting longer ago as, as the world keeps turning, as, as we keep speeding forward. But the amount of changes and technology available and, and different things that have progressed within 10 years is crazy and how that can change education. My class when I was in school was kind of known as the first laptop class. We were kind of the first class to open up computers in, in the classroom. Um, the first iPhone was invented, I believe, when I was in PT school. I just thought about that the other day. <laughs> it was a novel thing. You could check your email on the phone. <laughs> and now people wish that would go away <laughs> so they wouldn't be bothered by it. But um, the technology has changed. Um, the amount of time, I, I was one of the last master's classes out of this program before they switched to the doctorate. And um, that added a semester of didactic on to the curriculum. Um, but just the amount of change that has happened in the time that you have in school uh, and the technology available. Yeah, that's incredible. In your first, in, while you were in teaching school, the first iPhone came out, and that's so funny to even think about, like, how much the world has changed, and the world of physical therapy, you know, has also changed, and that short amount of time is insane. Yes, yeah, so, like, we didn't pull out our phones when we were, I mean, when we were in school, you know, and, and like, we use, we'll, 
this semester we'll use the huddle technique app you know at the barn and different different technologies that i'm still wrapping my brain around how to help students with that because it's not how i my operating system is and how i currently like to operate and i'm like oh dang we have this cool like we can slow this down and put angles on it and, and do whatever and change things up i love that and I think it's so cool that you're utilizing technology in the classroom, you know, and for your class, like what was the, I guess the biggest learning curve for you um, for your first class? Um, I think the, probably the biggest learning curve for me even goes back into technology. Um, I. I'm not a tech guru, but I'm not a tech bobo either. But I have um, bad juju that follows me around with my tech. I know how to do it. And then as soon as I hit class, it's not gonna work. Like, like I couldn't log into my computer all day yesterday for the first, first class, um, for the first day of class and, you know, and I think because I'm of a generation that um, all that got introduced to, it wasn't already the norm. Uh, I just went with the flow and was like, we got 40 other things we can get done today and, and didn't worry about it. And we just monitor and adjust. And I'm very gray in my thinking that way. And I'm like, meh, this isn't working this way. Let's figure out another way. I love that. And you know, you've got to adapt and change. And that's so cool that you've done this over the years. And so you said you're now the director of the program for the PTA program? Um, clinical education, not, clinical not education. the program, but of the clinical education. I'm the DCE for the PTA program. Okay. So how has that been being, you know, handling all of the <laughs> clinical aspect of like placing people? So, um, the misnomer that DCEs just sit around and plug people in and don't do anything um, is a huge misnomer. I enjoy it because I enjoy talking to people. I really, um, being fresh out of full-time clinic work, it's very important to me that um, whether we're talking about the DPT program or the PTA program, that um, students are becoming safe, competent, entry-level clinicians, um, that they have a good foundation to expand on, whether they want to go into dry needling or hypotherapy or whatever. So I really enjoy the clin ed side of the organization, of putting people uh, into places and talking with clinicians. And it's a good feedback for the program because um, as you too well know, the walls of school can get real tight throughout the semester and get real closed in. And it's a good barometer of what we need to shore up here at school to help make um, the clinical experience uh, a firmer foundation for students to build off of. Yeah, very true. <laughs> Though, <laughs> I, we understand that for sure. And this lessons you've learned. 
since you've graduated physical therapy school? One of the biggest obstacles and keys, and it's kind of a running theme, and I don't think it matters whether we're talking about teaching in academia, um, working in an outpatient orthopedic clinic, um, working in a, for somebody or working in a business you develop, and that is the EQ, the emotional intelligence, the putting people first. Um, Roy, Roy's big thing is you put people first, you always do the right thing, um, which, you know, as he said that throughout school, I mean, I grew up with a high uh, moral code. I was like, well, doesn't everybody do that? Um, and it sounds so simple, and it is simple, but sometimes things can get real murky, and you have to go, okay, I've got to put my patient first. You know, their goals are my goals. Um, same thing Same thing when I'm interacting with students. It doesn't matter what time it takes. If students not getting something, we got to figure out how to do that, whether it's getting them to somebody else that can help them that just clicks better or explaining it another way or taking more time outside of class. Um, putting people first is... Um, not not an obstacle like it wasn't a shocking thing but as I continue down my path it is the number one thing that it does not matter how good your manual skills are how awesome your test scores are like that is the key to whatever direction in life you want to go I love that and you you said it like it sounds so simple but people truly you know, it, it can be a repeating theme that keeps coming up. You're like, oh, wait, I have to put the student first. Or, oh, wait, I have to put this, like, patient first. Yeah, I love that. So, so important for people to hear right now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, I mean, it even goes over into my own personal horses. Um, it's putting the horse first. You know, it's coming, um, I think, as clinicians and even on the horse, we often – and we come from our limited ex, um, experience, right? Our limited perspective, uh, where this is simple for me. Um, for example, I was riding my young horse in the arena while my brother was working with the tractor. Well, he should just know to just accept that, right? But if nobody's ever shown him that, then that's on me to show him, no, this is the behavior we expect. Um, not just because I know it, assume that somebody else knows it. Um, and we get caught up with that in the clinic too. Coming from our limited perspective, I know this, doesn't mean you know this, that the client knows that. Um, as students, you've spent three years learning uh, med term, right? You've learned a whole new language, a whole new thought. As you get towards the end of your school career, um, towards your last clinicals into your first two years of practice, uh, I think highly skilled clinicians are the ones who are able to take all that jargon that they know and put it back into real talk, um, put it back into real terms because they don't care what you know about the quadriceps um, nor how it functions at the knee. They care that they can get up and down the stairs or do squats or jump higher, whatever, you know, whatever the activity is, um, they, uh, 
they care about that and not using all that jargon that has been drilled in your brains. It's still important in our profession, but it's more about caring and putting people first and trying to come with empathy and coming from their lens. They, um, and, it, and if you can do that, you can, you can quiet a bunch of fears and, and get a lot um, further, whether you're talking about horses or people. Yeah, no, that is, that is so true. And I, I love what you just said about that. Um, because you have to be able to treat the person as a whole person and pretty much explain to them and break everything down to what they understand. And I know um, right now that's kind of what my, my program is doing through our clinicals is um, we're going through a lot of um, chronic pain education and you know, explaining things uh, and making sure that we understand too. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's super interesting and it's something that every clinician needs to know and that will make you so much better. Because if you just explain it to them and they're like, what? Then that's not going to help therapeutic alliance. It's not. And I, I tell students whether when I was a CI or now here at school, and I even have told patients this, if you think about um, healthcare in general, in your first meeting, your first evaluation, if you're a physical therapist, um, and it applies to PTAs also, but in your first session with a client, you have already spent more time with them than any episode of care they get with a doctor or another health healthcare professional. So PT is personal. It's personal in two ways. Uh, it can become personal where we have to get in a personal space for something, but it becomes personal in the interaction because that's huge and where physical therapy is at a unique corner of the healthcare system is that we have, if used correctly, we have the magnitude of time where our uh, fellow physicians, other healthcare workers, nurses, whatever, don't have that quality of time. Doesn't make them bad professionals. We just have a unique corner on the market um, that we have a lot more uh, wiggle room in the amount of time we get to spend with our clients. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's why a ton of people are drawn to physical therapy as a profession because you already see the patient more than anyone else has. You already have a bigger impact than anyone else has just because you've got the time with them. And that's incredible. That's why I did, I mean, that's a big reason I'm here at least. I don't know about you, Gabby, but I feel like that's what draws a lot of students because they don't necessarily like how the healthcare system is right now. And I think physical therapy is, is on the up and up in the way to change it. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. But yeah, Gabby, you want to ask our, uh, our usual last question that we have? You've already given so much advice for students, but we've got one more question for you. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. Okay. Finally, I can hear myself. I'm so sorry for that. I was just like, I felt like I was yelling at it, to an extent and I was told to move. So anyway. Um, you're good. <laughs> so 
what advice would you give to a current PT student, uh, PT student who is just about to start? I know PT cast applications are in full swing and people are about to finish or have already finished. And we've talked about a lot, but if there is a piece of advice that you would give or you tell your, um, your students in your program, what would it be? Oh, trying to make it different from what we've already talked about. Um, I think a big key, if we're talk, if I'm giving a different piece of advice than what we've already talked about of putting people first, uh, putting, doing the right thing, which are, are standard standalone things is start working on you on figuring yourself out especially if you are a student if we're talking about pre-pt students or um, first years it doesn't matter all the way through graduating school but um, if you are someone who has taken the journey of going straight through school you went from high school to undergrad to graduate school or trying to take that path if you haven't um, uh, start figuring out who you are how your systems work how your brain works i don't think we take enough time for that uh, and i think often on that path we don't take enough time to go live life and i think especially um, your guys's uh, generation and kind of how the culture is changing your go 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 do all the things uh, experience life go sit at the coffee shop with your grandfather and not say a word and observe things and listen to those stories um, go do some manual labor for your summer break whether it is lifeguarding at the beach working uh, working for a farmer, being a farmhand, getting paid P. Diddley squat, it will pay off in dividends on your life perspective, how you interact with different walk, different people from different walks of life. Um, because that, that's another big push for me is um, within that empathy EQ that we've already talked about today, um, You've got to have some of that experience yourself to be able to see kind of those different aspects. So um, kind of to sum up those key words of advice is work on knowing who you are and experiencing life outside of uh, what it is your goal is, your, your set path that you're trying to go down. That's great because people don't take time for that. You know, it's hard because it is very much like, go, 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 like do absolutely everything in all the minutes of the day that you can. And it's tough to take a step back and just have coffee with your grandpa or something. And just like, listen, I love that. That's great. And I actually, I have one more question I forgot to ask earlier. For those who are listening, who are, you know, kind of stuck, there's surprisingly more people than you might think stuck between like working with animals like as a vet or something similar versus going for physical therapy what would you say really helped you make that decision oh um 
for me, for me personally, the reason why I didn't go um, down the vet route, because obviously it wasn't amount of school, um, because we're dang sure in amount of, in almost the same amount of graduate work as a vet. Vet school's four years, DPT programs are typically three, but it's not the schooling. Um, for me, it was my, my trying to balance my work and personal life. And in the horse world and horse, the horse veterinary world, um, horse owners uh, need horse vets right now. And all of the very good horse vets I know typically did not do a lot, like their horse fix happened through work. They typically did not um, compete or um, because they worked all the time. Uh, that's kind of changed. There's some vets out there now that are working on that balance, but the very good ones and by golly, I want to be the best I can be at whatever it is I do, but I didn't want to be on call and have to work on everybody else's horses and not be able to get to spend some time with my own because I still have a lot of uh, goals and aspirations um, for competition for myself. So it, that was really the key to me. My dad gave me a piece of advice that said, um, as we were driving towards physical therapy, his physical therapy treatment that day, uh, he said, you, in picking a career, you have to do one of two things. You pick a career, a path where you make so much money that it doesn't matter the stress of the job you have the amount of money to do whatever you want to do on the side or you pick a career that you love so much that money is no object and and that's not and when i say that um, i want you to sit back and go okay um, i'm not putting emotions or judgment on whichever path works for you but as much as you're in school and you want to be the best physical therapist you can be Burnout is a real issue. I'm sure you've talked to clinicians about that. Um, life changes happen. Uh, you know, that is a lot of what draws people to SSPT um, and to that movement. But um, when you're setting up your life, money, money is no object and you just absolutely love what you do. And so your happiness is there or you make money, um, to be able to afford what you want to do. I think students haven't really heard that before, mm -hmm. at least on our podcast, we haven't heard that yet. I think that's really cool that you bring that up because it is so true. You can, you know, work in something you love so that money is no object or like, yeah, do something that maybe isn't your favorite thing, but you have money to do what you love on the side. And that's a huge point for students to kind of let sink in and really think about. Yes, but even within that journey, like I didn't just jump from vet to PT. I was like, well, maybe I'll go to pharmacy school or, you know, maybe I'll do this. And I, I remember going to talk to the pharmacy school and I was already, I believe, two years, maybe three into my undergraduate work. I had just finished up animal genetics with a professor who had worked on the human genome project. A gene is a gene is a gene because guess what? We're all animals at the end of the day. 
Um, we just happen to talk and have opposable thumbs. Uh, but highly loved that class, very good teacher, highly regarded. I took my transcripts into the pharmacy school and they said, well, this will not work. You have to have human genetics, not animal genetics. And you need to get out of the College of Agriculture and get into wherever the straight sciences were for, I don't remember at the time, but not in the College of Agriculture. And, and while that wasn't everything that deterred me from that path, it was the majority of it because I, I am from an agriculture background. Um, I grew up doing FFA. I, I bled blue and gold before I bled orange at Oklahoma State, you know, and uh, I was like, this doesn't make sense to me. And this is not going to, this is not, that culture kind of was instilled on me through that process of very close-minded, very black and white. And I was not willing to give that part of my undergraduate education up. Yeah, no, and and that's that's so true, and it happens because some, like we just talked about, like some people are so torn in between, and if there's one class or a few classes where they're like, we're not going to take this, then it's just reconsidering, okay, is this really what I want to do, and, um, and I, I loved what you said earlier about, uh, this is just going backwards a little bit, but um, about you know, do you want to do a job that you're going to love every day? And you obviously you want to get paid, but if you didn't have to get paid, then you would do it or be in a job where you're getting paid a lot of money, not getting the time freedom that you want. And uh, yeah, just circling back to that. I think that was just so key. Wow. Even thinking yeah. about that ourselves right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how one class can deter someone from a lifetime in one particular career because that's sadly common. Like for physical therapists, for example, like chemistry or physics or something that we're absolutely not interested in per se, but you just need it. And that can deter a lot of people away from going for physical therapy school or going for pharmacy school or OT school or whatever. And it's kind of crazy how that one class could totally change your life, totally change the trajectory. You know, it really can because like, like for me and my journey, physics and chemistry, um, it's a part of animal science, the part of a lot of fields, um, but that deterrent from talking to the pharmacy school and my perception of what pharmacists do, my perception and a lot of the public perception is you have a lot of schooling to be able to count out pills, which is not at all knowing what I know now. That is not all within their, that's not the only thing they do in their scope of practice, but it is kind of the general image, right? You wear a white coat, you stand behind the glass and you go, one, two, three, four, you know, and so for that black and white, um, no, you can't do this in your education to the black and white perception of what was going on there, even though at the time I didn't know a whole lot about, um, I only had my dad's limited um, exposure to physical therapy. I, I couldn't go that black and white. Um, I'm very, um, as you can tell, I'm very gray <laughs> in how I think and how I speak and what I do. 
um, along with putting that energy to even disrupting your normal flow of your podcast. Because even though <laughs> how I talk, we just kind of end up going different ways um, all the time. It's just kind of, it's just a part of who I am. And we love it. We, we love it because we hit so many things and, and sometimes you just need to talk about other things because they connect and um, no, we, we really like, this was awesome. This was such a great conversation. Yes. We appreciate you coming on. And for everyone listening, who's like, all right, I've never heard of this before, but it sounds really interesting. How do I get in touch with this person? Where can people reach out to you? So, um, we'll kind of, we'll kind of just list, uh, I, someone needs to come up with a new term. Is it my social media resume? Is it, you know, we need a new term because everybody at the end of podcasts are like, you can get me here. You can get me here. You can get me here. So, um, my website is writersedgetherapy.com. You can email me at writersedgetherapy at gmail.com. Um, that's how you can get in touch with me, probably the easiest. Uh, if you just go to the website, I, we have funnels to get you in. And um, we're on Facebook, Instagram, um, and then the Writer's Edge podcast. Uh, we, are, we are 11 episodes in to the podcast, and we are um, over, as I checked last night, we were at 315 downloads over the two and a half months. Um, I very much enjoy doing podcasts and um, and enjoying and developing that. As you can obviously tell, I do like to talk. Um, but um, so, yeah, you can get me there. Uh, we're on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and then writersedgetherapy.com. Oh, love that so much. And people will most likely be reaching out to you because um, it's such an interesting area of PT that not a lot of people know that they can do. And I absolutely love it. And you are like the go-to person for that. So we're really excited and excited to check out your podcast as well. Yes. Thank you. Like we, 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 um, I have several interviews on there, but I also talk either about horse and rider issues together, rider issues, just horse issues. Um, we kind of, go it all it all is the same whirlwind <laughs> just sometimes we take a little part stronger um and then this part but it always uh, as everything is being told today everything always circles back around for me yeah exactly and that's what it's all about and people will be listening in students are going to be reaching out i already have i have a classmate in particular in mind she was like asking about um hippotherapy because she's super interested in it so uh you'll be getting some messages for sure Perfect. Yeah, I we can we can email back and forth and then take it from there if we need to set up calls or whatever and kind of um, help people move forward. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Okay, thank you guys very much. Thank you, Farley. Thanks for listening to Gratitude, the grad school guide for student physical therapists. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our Instagram and Facebook page linked in the description.